All right, it's uh, it's time to fire up another gardening tour back, and uh, Scotty Sharp is here. Haven't uh, seen you for a while, mate, so welcome along. Welcome, welcome. We chat regularly, though, so but good to see you again in the flesh. In in real life, absolutely. If we get time, uh, cover a couple of other areas of the garden today. Yes, I want to talk about a couple of uh, really beautiful sort of tropical plants that you can try and get growing at the moment, the poinciana, uh, also the lotus flower, if you've got a nice little uh, sort of water pond. And I also want to uh, answer some questions for Miles. He's got some troubles with his conifer, and Joe has trouble with leeches. All right. Uh, getting into the uh, gardening talkback mailbag, huh? Yes, that's the email. Works a treat. And g'day, Carmel at Lochinvar. New turf and the mushrooms are poking through. Very, yes. Yes, very good afternoon, Carmel. What is happening with your lawn? I don't know. Um, it just seems to thrive with these magic mushrooms. You no sooner pick them out one day and they're there the next day. Oh, look, that doesn't sound too good. Look, of course, the old uh, health warning here, and I bet Mark's going to be able to do it for me. Don't eat the mushrooms. No, don't. <laughs> do not. Oh, of course. Of course. Don't Is eat there the a way that you can kill them without killing the lawn? Or yeah. I mean, I've never seen them like that before. Yeah, it's, it's or really is unusual. Or something they... Stay there, or what's the go? Well, what's happened? There's obviously some spores, uh, you know, in the turf. Um, look, we we can get rid of them. It's, it's actually quite easy. You need to go to your local garden centre and grab a fungicide of some variety. Um, the best one's probably going to be copper oxychloride. Okay. Uh, it comes in a, like a powder. Uh, you mix it up into a spray. It's blue. Uh, and just go and spray that all over the mushrooms, uh, and that will get rid of them. It will also kill the fungal spores down in the soil as well. So um, as well as getting rid of the little magies that are sort of grown up there, you'll be getting rid of their little babies as well. So um, you won't get any uh, more mushrooms. You won't get any more little fairies or any cute little sort of I've fantasy creatures either. I've never seen them before. <laughs> Never seen them before, you yeah. know. Like you, you know, soon to pull them out and they're there again. It's like, well, where are they coming from? No one else has got them. Why have we got them? You know, we're all put new turf down, so it seems strange that we've got them. Yeah, and look, and by pulling them out as well, you're probably also releasing those spores. Just a little bit of movement, and the little spores will just you know, like a dust will just flow back down into the ground again. Um, you know, a little bit of moisture, and off they go. Look, and yeah. it's because of the humid conditions that we've got. That's why uh, you know fungus grows. Um, you know, if you've got mold in your house, yeah, look, it's it's because it's humid and wet. Same thing with the mushrooms in your lawn. So uh, yeah, if you get some copper oxychloride, some sort of fungicide from your local garden centre. That will get rid of it for you. All right, best of luck there for you, Carmel. G'day, uh, Jill at East Maitland. Jill, you're wanting the two for one deal today. You got a couple of questions. <laughs> yeah, yes, I have. That's all right, um, Jill. We've got the steak knives at the end as well, so all's well. <laughs> you, you can ask as many as you want. <laughs> Thank you. The first one is I wanted to ask if I could transplant a lavender bush. It's only small, it's uh, not very old, a couple of years old, I suppose. What do you think? Uh, yeah, look, uh, lavender can be a bit touchy. Uh, I would be saying hold your breath on that one. If you desperately need to move it, uh, give it a try. Uh, the great thing about lavender, though, is they've only got a very, very shallow root system, so you need to get out there with a spade and try and get as much soil out around the root ball as possible so you're not uh, disturbing the root ball, uh, yeah. and then give the, the plant a very light cutback. Lavender's a funny thing. It doesn't like being heavily cut back into the, the wood. You know, if it's gone wood, it doesn't like being cut back there. It will surely die on yeah. you. So yeah. 
look, really, that's all you can do. And then get it into the new spot. Uh, make sure you've dug the hole. Fill it up with uh, water so it's nice and wet in there. Uh, keep on watering it in. Uh, and also there's a product called Stress Guard out there. It's like almost a, a, a polymer coating that sort of coats and slows down the transpiration of the plant. Stops it, you know, slows down its breathing, I guess. Um, yeah. That's, uh. So get some of that and spray that. And then uh, fingers crossed on that one because, yeah, lavender can be a touchy little plant to uh, transplant. Yes, yes. I've never I've never done it before. Um but, uh, yeah, anyway, I'll give it a go and cross my fingers. Okay. Now you've got another question for us. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I've got, um, well, I had a, a um, grevillea up the back. I think it was a Ned Kelly or a Robin Gordon. It had been there for a long time, and, and I was <laughs> trimming it one day, and all of a sudden it just went, oh, and laid down and died. It just <laughs> collapsed on the ground. <laughs> you need to get, get some uh, plant CPR out there and try and give it mouth-to-mouth or something, but... Uh... <laughs> Uh, it was it was it was rotten at the base, but the reason I'm asking about this now is that I've got another one um, that's just dying. All of a sudden, it's dying. It's a John Evans, yes. and um, I wondered I wondered if grevilleas have a limited lifespan, like wattle. You know, wattle only usually lasts about ten years, doesn't it? Yeah, look, that that's correct, and. I think the thing with uh, grevilleas, wattle especially, is they're, they're both such quick-growing plants uh, that yeah. they sort of burn out their energy very quickly uh, and they, uh, you know, they have uh, sort of... Uh, their, their bark will start to crack and bad things will happen there and you get pest and disease in there like you've found with yours. So, yeah, yeah look, grevilleas, uh, you know, 10 to 12 years. Wattle's a little bit shorter, as you said, you know, 8 to 10 uh, so, but the great thing about them, though, is you can have a wattle planted, for instance, and then you get to the five or six year mark, and you stick another one in next to it or nearby to it, and it'll grow up very quickly within two years, and then you can pull the old one out, and you've sort of started again. So you can do almost the same thing with the grevilleas. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, well, it, it's it's growing next to a rather large uh, grevillea um, ginger marmalade, so. I'm wondering if the, the ginger marmalade has forced it out, but it just seems it's only in the past week that it's suddenly started to die. Yeah, look, have a look around the bark. Um, you know, as I said, that the larger grevilleas can get uh, borer activity in them when the bark gets a little bit old and they become a little yeah. bit frail and brittle that way. Um, they can get uh, fungal disease as well. That could be a problem at this time of year. Uh, so, yeah, just to have a quick, close look in around the plant and uh, see what you can find, but definitely only a short lifespan for your grevilleas. All right, thanks so much for Jill. Uh, but what do you reckon, Scotty? But wait, there's more. Wait, there's more. <laughs> were they budgies in the background? I think there were. Oh. Some more of Gardening Talkback. Nick from Firm Bay. Nick, what's the situation with the roses, mate? What's happening? Look, for the last two years, they've, they've really struggled. Um, there's the spindly, lack of foliage, no substance in the flowers. Um, I've tried all sorts of fertiliser. It's very sandy soil over here at Fern Bay. Yes. Look, really, for you growing roses... More sand than the soil, really, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, you're you're going to be up against it. Uh, I mean, you've just got the sand hills that have come in from Stockton Beach um, there that you're trying to grow in. And look, the, the... what happens then is that uh, you know any you know organic material, any fertilizer that you're putting uh, in around your roses, it's, it's just leaching through very very quickly. Um, the pH is probably going to be you know up and down because of you know that the you know the sandy soil. Yep. 
all, all you can really do, Nick, is just to continue to feed heavily. Uh, mostly, I would say to you, using poultry manure. Uh, because it's actually going to help build up the organic matter in the soil as well. Uh, it'll keep the pH nice and stable. And then at other times you can use uh, other different rose foods. Uh, you can use the uh, sort of the chemically granular one. Uh, you can use sudden impact, which is also uh, an organic uh, pelletized rose food. But All mostly right. I, I would be sticking to the uh, to the uh, poultry manure. They love poultry manure. I've tried everything, poultry manure, cow manure, horse manure, thrive. Oh yeah, stick, definitely stick away from the horse manure, uh, yeah, and e- and even the uh, even the cow manure. They don't like the uh, lower pH of the uh, of the cow manure. So most definitely try and uh, keep on using that poultry manure. Don't be shy with it either. Uh, you know you can use uh, you know almost half a bag uh, yeah. around your rose. Uh, don't let it go up against the stem though, because you'll get some collar rot there. Yeah. And uh, just tease it back, water it in. You can even just slightly till it in. Uh, and over time, that will build up the organic matter around the rose. But uh, look, you are going to be fighting, uh, you know, yeah. it's like the rising tide there. You, you're not going to be able to hold it back to uh, yeah. unless you're using lots and lots of poultry manure. All right, best of luck with all of that, Nick. Hello, Tom from Abermain. Uh, you have a question for Scotty regarding daffodils today. Yeah, uh, we just got some bulbs, and I'm just wondering, um, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> Like, like I, I, I watch Gardening Australia sometimes, and I thought I heard some mention about sometimes you've got to put dig the bulbs up and you put them in the fridge or you put them in the in the freezer uh, crisp and tray of the uh, fridge a certain time of the year and all this sort of stuff. Is, what, what's what's to go with them? Yeah, look, uh, I don't know about the crisper tray of my fridge. It's where, uh, you know, all the old rocket and lettuce goes to die. <laughs> so I, I won't be suggesting going to my fridge and putting in any sort of bulbs. But look, you, you, you're pretty much on it there, Tom. Uh, the reason we put uh, bulbs into the fridge or into the crisper is to try and trick them into thinking that it's winter because it just doesn't get quite cold enough here. And that, those colder conditions actually trick the bulb uh, into germinating and, and starting off its growth uh, habit for the year uh, when we get into winter. Now, when a bulb is finished, uh, you know, and it's finished its flowering and you've let the green leafy stem die all the way down, a lot of people dig them back up and they keep them in a nice dry spot, you know, like in a, a string bag or, a, you know, some paper bag in the garage, just up high, you know, where it's nice and dry. Uh, and then you can replant them again next year. It just saves them being, you know, sitting in the ground and, uh, you know, possibly going soggy and going off. But yeah, the idea is for your uh, bulbs you're going to plant in autumn and winter, you do stick them into the uh, crisper, uh, you know, just for a week or two, not, you know, too long. And it will just trick them uh, into thinking, that it is nice and cold and time to grow. Because you've got to remember, you know, where bulbs uh, usually grow, uh, you know, in the northern hemisphere, they get those really distinct uh, seasons and it gets quite cold and it goes kabam and, you know, it's like the ice age comes down on them and they go, yep, time to get out there and, and, and grow and get ready to uh, do my thing. But uh, we need to trick them here in Australia. And, and um, be too soon at present to put, put them in or... or, or... Wait, wait a few months? What? Uh, look, it's still a bit early to put your winter bulbs in yet. I'd be waiting uh, probably, uh, you know, well, almost autumn, aren't we? No, but look, I'd be almost. waiting yeah, until March uh, into the crisper then uh, for a couple of weeks and then you would go and plant them. Okay, okay. okay. 
Beauty, beauty. Thanks very much for that, guys. Good on you, Tom. Thank you. Yeah, all right. Best of luck with that. You know what, uh, Scotty? I think we'll squeeze one more in here. What do you reckon? Absolutely. Who we got? Jenny at Dungog. Now, you're doing things uh, pot first. You've got some pots with no drain holes, and you'd like some advice, Jenny. Hello? Yes, hello, Jenny. How can we help you today? Yeah, thanks. I heard you talking about a lily earlier on, and I was thinking, oh, that's maybe what I could do. But I've got these lovely pots, but they don't have holes. And I was wondering what I could grow in them that, that won't attract mosquitoes and, you know, with water, just water on a, in something. Yeah, look, that's always a, a bit of a difficult one. I, I was actually going to talk about the, the lotus flower and I, I, I guess also lilies as well, water lilies, uh, because yeah. they're looking spectacular at this time of year. But the trouble in your situation, if you don't want mosquitoes, you are going to have some sort of stagnant water there uh, and, yeah. you, and it's going to attract mosquitoes. Uh, if you've got a nice uh, lotus plant there, you've usually got a big enough pot that you could have a couple of happy little fish in there. And, right, okay. and they'll yeah they'll do the trick and they'll keep the uh, the mosquito larvae under control, but uh, yeah look that is a problem. But it's a, lotus is a great plant uh, to be uh, growing if you've just got a, a sort of a pond, usually about twenty to thirty centimeters deep, uh, you know, seventy to eighty centimeters across the top, and uh, your lotus plant will uh, will grow in that. You could also grow probably two or three water lilies in that size pot as well if you wanted to. But, uh, yeah, you are going to contend yep. with the mosquitoes, so you just have to watch out about that and get some uh, little native fish in there. Oh, OK. Well, that's a great idea. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you very much, Jan. Oscar from Arcadia Vale. Olive trees are on your mind today, Oscar. That's correct, mate. That's correct. Uh, look, I've got three um, three olive trees um, in front of my place, and they're basically, like, um, they were dug. They were, the, the soil was clay, so I dug it out initially. That was about eight or nine years ago. And I planted them. And until this season, uh, almost every year, it sort of gave me a reasonable amount of olives. Whereas this year, for some reason, the leaves t- t- tended to sort of fall off prematurely. But more so, uh, one of the trees, which has more or less like a, a Kalamata-type olives, the olives started to, to grow, but um, then about halfway they stopped growing, and they're all sort of wrinkly, um, and they don't seem to sort of grow anymore. So what do you think the problem is? Yeah, Oscar, I'm wondering if the uh, the root system uh, of the plant might have sort of reached out and, and hit into the into the clay soil, and it might be a touch unhappy about that. Um, that, could, that could be a reason for that. Olives, as you know, are incredibly tough plants. Uh, one of the problems they can get, though, and I don't know if you've noticed this on yours, is that they can get a, a sort of a silvering on the leaf. You can see all these little spots, and when you turn yeah. the leaf over, you'll notice there might be some black. Um, yes, little, correct. Yeah, so you can actually get an insect on there, and they will start to do quite a lot of damage to the plant. They're there sucking the sap out of the leaves, essentially. They're a parasite. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, so you really would need to spray to uh, get that back under control. Uh, now, look, you can use uh, some sort of miticide. There's a miticide called eco oil. It's nice and safe yep, to use. Yep. Uh, you can I've actually, used that before, yeah, yeah, and you can definitely use that uh, on plants, even when there's uh, flowering. Uh, you know, there's fruit on there. Right. Uh, so I would do that. And in fact, I would be using it as a preventative as well. Uh, you know, every now and again, maybe once a month, just be going out there and spraying it and keeping okay. those little mites under control. 
look, as as to you know the root system having spread out and hitting that clay soil, unfortunately, there's just not much you can do about that. Um, you just have to keep on uh, you know just tending to the tree, um, even give it a light prune back. Um, yep. just to uh, give it a bit of a refresh that way. Uh, right. And as you know, olives are very, very prunable. You can almost hack them back down to the ground and they'll come back alive for you. So okay. Okay. it might be that. You just almost pretend that it's in a pot, but it's sitting in the ground and just try and keep it back under control a little bit. Best of luck, Oscar. G'day, Vera at Kiliburn Bay. You have a fertiliser question today, Vera. Yes, I have. Um, I just heard Scotty talking about um, a rose. I've got a climbing rose in a pot. And what can I put around? I've just got it recently. It's in a very big, large pot. What sort of fertiliser can I put around it? Yeah, so you have to be really careful about uh, plants uh, that are in pots, roses. I mean, look, just generally any plant, how you're going to fertilise it, Vera. You can't go and use poultry manure or cow manure because it's just too strong. It sort of goes up into the plant very quickly and burns it from the inside out. Right. Uh, so you really need to, need to use some sort of slow-release or pelletised uh, fertiliser. Now, for roses, there is a fantastic one. It's called Sudden Impact. Uh, impact, right? Yes, uh, and it uh, comes in a little bucket, uh, and it's uh, just fantastic for the fruiting. Oh, sorry, for the flowering of the rose. And I was also going to say that uh, this sudden impact is also very good if you've got citrus plants as well in in pots. Uh, oh, yeah. I have two as well. Oh, okay. great! Well, that's good. And there's another quick question. I've got yes. a high, two big hydrangeas in two big pots. What can I fertilise with them? Uh, now, look, you could actually use the sudden impact as well if you wanted to, but you have to be aware that uh, using or altering the pH uh, with hydrangeas uh, will change the, the colour of the, of the flower. What colour are yours, uh, Vera? Uh, one's pink and one's green. Yes, okay. So the pink one, um, you would actually start changing it to blue if you were to start to go and use the... Uh, the uh, sudden impact, so you just have to be careful about that. Um, it might be best for the hydrangeas that you just go and get a pH neutral uh, liquid fertiliser like Thrive or Flourish and right. start using that uh, regularly. You can use that uh, every couple of weeks if you want to, um, but otherwise, every now and again, you can give it uh, you know, some organic slow-release fertiliser like Osmocote, but generally, I think the, uh, the Thrive or Flourish every couple of weeks is going to do the trick mm. for your hydrangeas. Oh, beauty. Okie doke. I solved me problem. Thank you very much for that. Thanks for the call, Vera. All right. Best of luck with, uh, I guess, technically two and a half things you solved for, for Vera there. So well yeah. done, Scotty. Yeah. Out of the hat. Um, but before we move on, we had a call from Jan from Morissette uh, a little while ago just asking about black spots on roses. So in a quick 30, 40 seconds, Scotty, uh, some thoughts there for Jan? Yes, Jan. Uh, black spot on roses, big problem at this time of year. It's a fungus. Actually, I think we've almost been dominated by fungal diseases and things today. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> we're not looking in the nether regions at the oh. moment. We're just looking at the plants. So. Gotcha. <laughs> so, look, fungal diseases, black spot. Yes, it, it's a very difficult one to uh, keep under control. Uh, you can use copper oxychloride or Mancozet Plus. They're both fungicides you can get at your local garden centre. Uh, there is also the uh, old fashioned trick uh, if anyone's used it before the milk and, and water uh, just spraying that on there to try and keep the fungal diseases under control i prefer the uh, fungicide like copper oxychloride it leaves a coating on there but if anyone's had any success with the old milk trick uh, happy to hear from you all right uh, fantastic and um 
you know what? I'm just going to do this super quickly. Oscar is back. Oscar, you're just going to have a, a double dip of this. Uh, you asking what to feed the olive, yeah? Yes, correct, yes. Yeah, Oscar, um, look, I, I would go and get an all-purpose plant food that uh, for flowering. You can get those, right. those granular ones, uh, you know, when you sort of put your hand in there like a white um, granule sort of um, chemical-y yep, yep. thing in there. Uh, right. You can sprinkle that around. You can actually get one for citrus as well if you wanted to uh, right. and use that one, yeah. But generally okay. an all-purpose plant food that's good for flowering and fruiting plants. How, how, how often? Uh, look, according to the directions, it always depends on the product that you've got. Uh, but I would say, you know, at least every uh, quarter, every three months. Okay. 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 All right. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks for the call back, Oscar. Appreciate it. I'll tell you what, Scotty, you know what we'll have to start doing? for Because this is the third person this week that's had at least a second question, right? You have to charge them rent. We, we might have to do that, but look, always... A toll, have, maybe? A toll, a yes. Toll? One of those little beeper things, but always happy to answer <laughs> yeah. people's questions. So that's what we're here for. Gary from Singleton. Gary, you have a question about your passion fruit vine today, Gary. Yes, I do, mate. It's um, it's a one I share with my neighbour. It's self-sown. It came up in his yard, and it's grown over and grows on a horizontal trellis in my yard. Uh, probably oh, more than a year, we've, we're getting the odd flower, but that's it. Yeah, look, you might be my neighbour, actually, Gary, because I've got exactly the same situation at my place, the uh, the next-door neighbour's passion fruit. I think it's actually migrated to my house and up into the trees and everywhere. Um, uh, I have had some success this year, but the I've only noticed the fruit has set like within the last week or so. I'm putting it down to the lack of bees at the moment. Uh, I think that's probably why you've had a uh, you know a bit of a dearth of passion fruits actually setting, uh, and the flowers just perhaps even withering off and dying. Uh, yeah. a- anecdotally, I've been hearing this uh, you know through a number of uh, people and sources that um, you know the the uh, the virus that went through the bees and all those hives having to be yes. put down has had you know quite a dramatic effect. Um, you know, on, on people's uh, crops uh, and definitely in their gardens. Um, so I would definitely be putting it down to that. We've had plenty of water. We've had plenty of heat. Uh, yep. I think if you're just not getting that flowering, that's going to be the problem. Like I said, I've only just noticed some fruit setting on the one in my house at the moment. Um, I doubt that they will ripen up in time. Uh, it's just all getting uh, a little bit too late. So uh, it, it really, it. if you haven't had them set, uh, you know, late December, early January, uh, you just don't get them to ripen up, unfortunately, and they just start to uh, rot on the vine and uh, make a real mess. Yes, well, my neighbour's rather keen to pull it out, but I'm quite happy to leave it, so we'll have to make a executive decision on that, I guess. Yeah, and look, they they do yeah. make just a nice, you know, climber. Uh, you know, they, yeah. co- they cover fences and everything quite well. Uh, they're quick growing. They're quite easy to prune. It's not like they get really hard and woody and, you know, they take over things. So even no. just as a, a climber, they're quite nice. And if you do see it setting some fruit, you know, a little bit too late, you can go along and give that, uh, you know, a little bit of a cutback. Sulfate of potash is also another thing you can do to uh, promote the flowering uh-huh. of the plant. But... I would be putting it down to the the lack of the little buzzy bees at uh, around the place at the moment. No, I haven't seen many, if any. Yes, yeah. In my my yard, it, um, yeah, I, I want to leave because I've got hanging baskets hanging underneath it, and whatever. Anyhow, we'll see. Uh, if I may also mention lotus. Yes, I heard you talking before. I had to tell me 
radio off. Yes. Do they? Do they? Oh, look, I saw them a few weeks ago at a big nursery out of Maitland. Oh, die for one. But do they have to have full sun? They need about five or six hours sun uh, for the day. Uh, and I would say to you, you're probably best to have them in the morning sun and getting out of the sun uh, towards the afternoon when it starts to get blisteringly hot. Uh, okay. Yeah, so you, they, I guess in a way they're almost a semi-shade plant. Uh, so if you can get that five to six hours uh, and get them out of the afternoon. But the great thing about them, though, is if you can grow them, uh, you know, rather than in a pond, uh, but in some sort of big uh, pot that's been sealed up, you can move that around if you need to and uh, get it into the ideal spot. All right, best of luck uh, with all of that uh, there, Gary. Last up today, uh, Len from Maryland. Something seems to be uh, eating all your spinach, Len. What's happening with it, Len? Yeah, well, I've got um, I've got spinach is about um, about a foot high, and I'm just I've got all these new pots and new soil bags of soil and everything, and I've just started doing a little bit of gardening in, in my little backyard. Um, but sort of on one leaf, it's got something that's just tacking sort of one leaf, and then um, on my apple cucumbers is sort of attacking the leaf on that too, and yeah, any and I've sprayed it with. I've uh, put some tomato dust all over it, and also I'll put um, some spray liquid spray, like a, a tomato dust uh, in liquid type. Yeah, okay. Look, that sounds a bit odd. Uh, look, with spinach, spinach uh, they can be attacked quite badly by white fly, but they're more of a little sap-sucking insect. Um, for that, you just use a pyrethrum spray um, you know, on edible plants and try and keep the, uh, the white fly under control. It is very difficult to get under control. But chances are, uh, you know, for what you're describing, it could be one of those little, you know, green sort of leaf hopper caterpillar things. You know, you see the little green ones that sort of arch up and they move along. I'm doing the thing here with my finger and marks, not even looking at me. Yeah, he's, just, yeah, he's ignoring uh, my acting skills here. Yeah. But they, and what happens with, with them is that they can really tuck themselves away. Uh, especially in spinach, they'll get down sort of deep into the crevice and then at night they'll come back out and do their business and start eating and chomping away. Um, mm. So with those, uh, it, there is a product called Dipel. Uh, it's specifically uh, designed to get rid of caterpillars and grubs. So it's a bioinsecticide that only works on caterpillars. So it's probably worth going and grabbing some of that, mixing some of that up and giving it a, a good general spray. Um, look, otherwise, as I said, the pyrethrum spray, you might have some effect on the caterpillars, some effect on the white fly, but at least it's nice and safe to use on edible plants. Yeah, do you uh, do you sell that product at your uh, shop? Uh, Dipel, yes, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm, I'm in, in round about your area this afternoon, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll pop in because I... You know, I go out late of a night time, can't see them. Go out early in the morning, can't see them. So, as you said, they must be damned in, yeah. in the soil. And they do, or they get down into the crevice of the plants. Hey, best of luck, Len. And again, thanks to everybody that called today. Now, Scotty, we have got just a, a couple of moments to open up the mailbag or the letterbox at the front of the garden and a couple you want to get through this afternoon. Yes, I'll dig my hand in there deep. I feel like Miss Kim, I can have a bit of a rustle around okay. and see what okay. I find down there. Oh, we've got a email or an email from Miles Bennett and he is having a lot of problem with his uh, conifer plants. I'm also showing Mark a picture here. So wow, he okay. Yeah, I can yes. see it there. It looks like he's got... It's of no 
I mean, the, for the person at home listening, they can't see it, Scotty. <laughs> but you can, and that, can. that makes it you know all the more brighter for both of us, at least. Uh, look, it's a it's a conifer that uh, Miles has sent in. Looks like a Leighton's green or a Nailer's blue. Very popular conifers. They're quick growing. They form a nice hedge. His are starting to go all yellow and yucky down through the middle. Uh, the great thing about Leighton's green, Nailer's blue, is that these conifers grow very quickly. But I guess like the wattle, then when the plant grows quickly, they start to get you know very brittle bark and they start to get insect incursion so i think what miles needs to do here is uh firstly uh have a bit of a sort of a ferret around uh in around the trunk of the tree see if there's any holes and and sort of sap weeping out it's just this gummy material that comes out these conifers also suffer from uh, canker, which is a like a, a bit of a fungal disease that the, they can get. So he'd also need to treat that um, with some fungicide as well, a uh, systemic one like foss acid, uh, and just generally water the plant, feed it, and try and make it uh, a little bit more healthy. All right, if you'd like to send Scotty an email, you do that, gardening at 2NURFM.com. Scotty, run out of time. A big uh, afternoon of gardening talkback. We look forward to you uh, next uh, Monday afternoon, same time. Yeah, love those callers. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>